When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with engaging author conversations and book recommendation episodes, as well as insider information on all of the newest releases that I personally endorse and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations and to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. If you are interested in accessing unique bonus content, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group. I offer two levels, Page Turners, which includes my popular Early Reads program, where patrons have access to monthly early digital reads through NetGalley and exclusive pre-publication author chats, as well as regular bonus episodes and fun surprise content. My second level is Lit Lovers, which includes all of the page-turner benefits, as well as my Traveling Galley program, where patrons can read at least three to four new titles a month that are in print galley form and are passed along to other members. One of July's selections is the new William Kent Kruger book, The River We Remember. In addition, there are two monthly episodes, fiction-nonfiction pairings, and spoiler-filled interviews with three authors. The link to join is in my show notes. Today, Sarah DeVello joins me to talk about her new book, Broadway Butterfly. Sarah is a true crime novelist and the creator and host of the mystery and thriller Maven's author interview series. She also serves as the director of social media strategy for the International Thriller Writers Association. In her spare time, Sarah loves to cook and eat, garden, and go for leisurely walks with her husband and their beloved rescue mutt. I hope you enjoy this conversation. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Welcome, Sarah. How are you today? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. 
I'm so excited that you're here because I absolutely loved The Broadway Butterfly. It was such a page turner and I cannot wait to talk about it. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I know how much you read, so that really means a lot to me, especially coming from you. And I love New York City, so anytime anything is set there, I always want to read it. And I just felt you really brought the city to life. And we'll talk about all of that in a little bit. So before we do that, though, will you give me a quick synopsis of Broadway Butterfly for those that won't have read it yet? Absolutely. So Broadway Butterfly is the 100% true story about a scandalous flapper named Dot King who was found murdered in her bed 100 years ago this year. And the ramifications that ripple from the gangster world all the way up to the White House as the investigation unfolds. How did you first learn about Dot King? And then once you learned about her, how did you decide you wanted to write about her? Oh my gosh, Cindy, it is a crazy story. So 10 years ago, I was home in Philadelphia with my family for Thanksgiving. And you know, the day after Thanksgiving, we're sitting around having our leftover turkey sandwiches, hanging out with my aunts, uncles, and cousins. And, you know, conversation turns to reminiscing. And my uncles shared that back in the 60s, you know, after high school, they used to sneak over to the castle where they would sneak cigarettes and beer. (laughs) And needless to say, I was startled and fascinated to hear that in my aunt's very normal split-level ranch suburban neighborhood, there used to be a castle. I mean, this was mind-blowing. So I had to know more. All 11 of us piled in cars. We caravanned over to the next, you know, split-level ranch suburban development. And there, in between the Subarus and the tulip beds, were the ruins and remnants of an actual grand estate. So 50-foot pillars stretching up into the sky with no walls attached, headless statues of Zeus and Diana, you know, the edges of a fountain, a pool where a fountain had once gurgled. And this is in the back of people's backyards. It was so bizarre. And so it sent me down a research rabbit hole because I had to know more. How had this happened? Who were these people who had lived here? What had ever happened to it? And in the course of my research, I ended up learning that this castle was connected to an unsolved murder. And I knew immediately all the hairs on my arm stood up, you know, got goosebumps. And I knew that was a story I had to tell. I just love that origin story. And I'm completely fascinated by these ruins. I probably need to just get online and see if I can pull up photos. But I can't understand how people have just left these ruins like in their yard or in their backyard. That sounds so strange. Cindy, it is so eerie to be there. It's like you're standing in the middle of, you know, Rome or, you know, or Athens looking at the remnants of, you know, the Acropolis or, you know, whatever. But you're in suburban Philadelphia. And they have since, so th- this castle has since been just torn down in the 1980s, which is considered one of the greatest architectural losses in U.S. history because it was known as the Versailles of America. It had 147 rooms. It had three floors above ground, three floors below ground, 27 bathrooms, 24 fireplaces, a, you know, a staff of 70 full-time gardeners just to maintain the exquisite gardens and grounds. And all of that is gone except for these ruins. And I actually share pictures of it on my website, which is uh, com slash behind the scenes. So you can jump online or you can, uh, you know, and Google it, or you can go to my website and see, see it because it is very bizarre to see. <laughs> It must be very bizarre to see. Okay, so I missed that on your website because I did check out your website. So I will go back and look. 
because I'm fascinated by it. And yes, what a loss, because you think about the Biltmore and some of these places that are just so beautiful to tour. And it's a shame that they couldn't save that one and do something similar. It is heartbreaking for someone like me who loves history, who minored in history. And what I love most about history is architecture. This is something that breaks my heart every single time that I think about it. I agree, because I'm the same way. Exactly, exactly. So the 100th anniversary of the closing of Dot's case is coming in this August when your book is coming out, correct? Yes, ma'am. It sure is. So 100 years is a long time. I am so interested in how you handled your research because that had to be difficult trying to go that far back in time and with it being unsolved. It was a challenge for sure. Cindy, my research took me nine years and brought me to the most fascinating places. So I applied for research passes to the J.P. Morgan Library and Museum in New York City, Columbia University, the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia some presidential libraries where I explored the historical collections of various people's private papers so that I could unearth notes and pictures of these people, notes about the case, letters that they had written. I have spent untold thousands of hours researching this case over you know, the course of an entire decade in the bowels of the New York Public Library, the Milstein microfilm room, where I would pull out drawers filled with yellowed boxes of microfilm and then feed them into the microfilm machine and 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 look at actual copies of 1923 newspapers and print off copies of the actual articles that my lead character Julia Hartman had typed on a typewriter by hand herself you know over the course of this time i have amassed over 1500 pieces of original research of articles photographs notes letters. Um, it has been fascinating and fabulous. And for a research nerd such as me, it is just a dream come true. I can't even imagine. And I would get totally hung up in all of the other things happening in that time period as well. I'd be so happy to find the stories related to Dot written by Julia, but then I'd also be reading everything else that was going on in the time period. Yes, me too, because it is so fascinating. And honestly, one of the things that most surprised me and something that I really wanted to get across in the story is that in the past 100 years, 1923 to 2023, how very much has changed. You know, we have computers, we have the internet, we have televisions, you know, we have cars that (laughs) go much faster, you know, airplane travel, we have so much. And yet how absolutely nothing has changed in terms of some of the power dynamics and corruption and you know various other aspects that I cover in the case and exactly to your point at first I just was reading the articles and you know and taking notes and 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 actually transcribing them vocally by dictating so that I didn't forget anything and it would be more searchable but then I interviewed a professor at Boston College who studies the media in the 1920s and especially focuses on how the media portrayed the police in the 1920s in various investigations. And he said to me, you're not just reading the articles, are you? And I said, (laughs) well, yes, sir, I am. And he said, no, you got to look at the ads. The ads are where the real juice is because you see, you learn so much about people and what they cared about and what they were investing their hard-earned dollars in. So what what was fascinating to me to then start to notice was what companies have still stayed in existence? Maybelline. You know, women still want long, luscious eyelashes, Wrigley's chewing gum. We still want to, you know, chomp chewing gum. 
And also how many things have changed. Like you'll no longer see ads advising you to give your kids mercury for a common cold. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope not. (laughs) That had to be fascinating. What has stayed around and what hasn't? That had to be so interesting. It was so interesting. You know, there were all these ads for, you know, ladies, do you want longer, thicker, tresses, grow your hair with the special hair grow formula. And, you know, as someone who always wished she had thicker hair (laughs) and who has tried her fair share of hair thickening serums, I was like fascinated to see that women were still worried about this, you know, a hundred years ago, they wanted better complexions, thicker hair, pimple removers, you know, longer eyelashes, all of these, you know, you know, beautiful fashions, something to make, you know, another person fall in love with you. (laughs) Some of these things are so innately human that we'll always be worried about them. We'll always want these things. And also, you know, so much has changed in terms of medicine. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And smoking. I don't know if smoking was popular that early then or not. And smoking. Yeah, so it is fascinating. So obviously they didn't know that smoking was bad for you. Everybody smoked, seeing the cigarettes, you know, uh, the tobacco brands and companies, seeing them, you know, unabashedly, you know, advertised, be cool, smoke cigarettes. What was interesting, though, is that women were not allowed to smoke cigarettes in public. And that changed in 1924. But until 1924, a woman could be arrested for smoking a cigarette on a sidewalk in New York City. Wow. Can you imagine? Yes. Yes. Women were not allowed to go into a restaurant unaccompanied. If a woman went into or a hotel lobby unaccompanied, if she did, she was presumed to be a prostitute. Women could not, you know, women could not get a passport. The the passports were issued to the husband. So it would say the husband's name and address and his physical description. And then it would say, and wife. So it didn't even have her name. Really? I did not know that. I mean, I know it's like till the 70s and 80s when you could get your own bank loan and own a home, you know, have your name on a home half the time and some of that. But I did not know that the passport thing I didn't know that at all. And I didn't know that you were just listed as and wife. And wife, right. So it made it real convenient. You know, your husband could just kill you off, replace you and not even update his passport. (laughs) Exactly. And you probably didn't have a ton of ID. So any number of people could pose as a wife. Exactly. And Cindy, that was another really fascinating thing that I learned because there were no, a lot of states didn't have driver's uh, licenses. And the ones that did, didn't have photographs of the person. And because there was no social security number, because this was pre-Roosevelt, pre-social you know, security system, anybody could be anybody, which is really fascinating. So it was really easy to disappear, to change your name, to change your identity, to change your age. And interestingly, almost everyone did. So Dot King was actually 29 years old, but she told everyone she was 27. <laughs> Would you know just shave those two years off? But women could just do that. They could just change their you know their date of birth because there was no way to check it. So it was really sort of fascinating to contrast to now when if it, it would be a whole lot harder to disappear because of Facebook, Instagram, you know, just photo ID, passports, licenses, social security numbers, all of these things. But back then, without any of that, it was really interesting because it was terrifying, harder to find people, but also freeing. You could just start over. Exactly. It'd be much easier to disappear then than it would be now. Yeah, much easier to get your get get murdering. Just get get murdering. <laughs> <laughs> well, after you did all of this research, you compile everything, you have all these documents. What was it like 
trying to distill all of that down into enough information for a book, but not for a 5,000-page book, but instead a three or 400-page book. Uh, exactly. And I, even then, I, I, I kept trying to make my book shorter, but it's hard when the case is this complicated and and also this fascinating. And you have to spend a lot of time world building because you have to establish the, what life was like in the 1920s without all of the you know things that we're just talking about. So I wrote on a post-it note that my mission was to separate out that which was integral from that which was merely interesting. And that was the motto and the mantra that I undertook to try to parse out what to include and what to exclude. Because what I learned is that what you leave out is just as important as what you bring in. I think that's exactly right. But it has to be so difficult in a situation like this because you're probably learning one cool detail after another. And you're like, well, I'd love for the reader to know this. And I don't want to leave this out. And I can't forget this. But then as you're writing, you're realizing, okay, this is a really cool detail. But if I include all of these, the book's going to be way too long and go down all these rabbit holes. But you do have a lot of people, as you mentioned, that are part of the story. So trying to keep it focused on all of them had to be time consuming and difficult. Oh, Cindy, thank you so much for saying this and for understanding my book on such a deep level because yes, yes, yes to all of this. You're so exactly right. This was so hard for me because everything was fascinating to me. Everything was so interesting to me, you know, and, and I completely fell in love with these characters who feel, you know, these real people, these very real people who, you know, I, I brought in as characters to the book but who I have, after spending every single day of my life with them for the past 10 years, feel like friends to me, friends who I love and care for very deeply. And so when someone is your friend and you care for them very deeply, and when they are as fascinating as these people are, everything seems fascinating about them, you know, to me. And so that's where I sort of would turn to, you know, my first readers and my editor and my agent and and they would they'd have to rein me in and say, you know, I, I could do without these without these 10 things, <laughs> to which I would become extremely offended <laughs> and say, you're wrong and stupid. No way. These are very important. What do you mean I have to remove them? Exactly. Exactly. What do you mean you don't want to know that Hilda Ferguson, Dot King's, you know, Dot King, the murder victims roommate who was a showgirl and, you know, known as the body had size two AAA feet. Of course, we need to know she had size two AAA feet. That's a freakishly tiny foot. Everyone needs to know that. That's the most important detail here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I just think that would be so hard. Well, I really enjoyed the format. Like I felt that you did a wonderful job telling the story. How did you decide on your format? Thank you so much. So because the lead character, Julia Hartman, who is the reporter who covers the case and then eventually undertakes her own investigation into the case, was a newspaper reporter, it occurred to me it would be so cool to tell each chapter in the format of a newspaper article. And so it just, you know, that idea popped in there really early on. And I just knew deep down in a sort of a visceral gut instinct way, oh my God, yes, this is right. It has to be this way. And originally, when, you know, back in the early days of starting this, I had hoped to tell the chapters in rotating 
format. So it'd be, there's four characters. So Julia Hartman, the, the lead, the, the reporter who covers the case, Inspector John D. Coughlin, who is the head of the NYPD detectives unit, and he's the lead investigator on the case. Ella Bradford, who is Dot King's friend, confidant, keeper of secrets, who worked for her and who found the body when she was murdered. And then the fourth character, Frances, who is a wealthy uh, society woman, one of the foremost powerful society women in the country. You know, back in the days before celebrities, society women were the celebrities. And so I wanted to tell the story, you know, in a rotating roster of those four characters. So every fourth, you know, chapter would be that would be that character again. But I quickly realized I couldn't do that because some people, which was Julia, the reporter and Detective Coughlin, had more to say. They had more information because they were on the front lines of the investigation. So it quickly became Julia's book. And then the others I brought in when it was when they had the information that was relevant to that part of the story. That makes sense. And as you mentioned, you had several people telling the story. And as you start out, and we're going to be spoiler free here, but you and I are going to have a really juicy spoiler filled conversation for my Patreon community when we're done. But one of the people you're wondering, why exactly is this part of the story being told? How does it wrap in with the rest? And I thought that was really, really well done because it kept me interested. And I was like, hmm, trying to follow what's happening here, but I don't know you know, wh- why this person is telling their story. And so that was great. I just loved the way you handled it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So I wanted to build the tension with, you know, what the heck is going on here? You know, you, you're intrigued, but you can't quite figure it out, but you have your theories. Because I know when I'm reading a mystery, I like to play detective. You know, I detective development reports for duty on page one and wants to try to solve the case before the characters do. And so I wanted to provide that experience for my readers. I love that. And I am the exact same way. So bravo (laughs) or brava. Thank you. Why did you decide to make it a historical thriller instead of nonfiction? That is such a great question and something that I really, you know, really had to think about. So writing this as a thriller novel gave me the freedom and the leeway to use my imagination to reconstruct scenes where there was no documentation. So closed rooms, you know, in an interrogation room where there there was no newspaper coverage, there was no notes. Now, you know, having spent a decade of my life researching this and running to ground every single thing that I could, I can tell you that every single detail in my book is historically accurate. Everything to the nth degree, the way that only someone who's riddled with anxiety the way that I am could could be so specific. But there were some rooms that I just couldn't get in because no one had transcribed the conversation. A reporter hadn't been let in to, you know, to write their article into that interrogation room or whatever. So that is when I had to take all of the knowledge that I had amassed over the course of these 10 years the knowledge that I had of these characters, of this case, of all of the, the the details that I had before and after, and then fill in the dots between those two points of information that I did have, and calling it a, a you know calling it a novel, calling it fiction, allowed me to do that to the best of my ability. That makes perfect sense, and I'm glad you didn't change things because I love historical fiction. I read it all the time, but sometimes it it is a little frustrating to me when I get to the end and then 
somebody's made up that I didn't know was made up or the dates have really shifted and I'm thinking, oh, I thought this was accurate. And it's not that it's not accurate. It's just that things have been shifted a little bit. And so I loved that you stayed true to the story, but as you said, had to sort of fill in where there wasn't a record. Exactly. Exactly. I'm the same way, Cindy. I love historical fiction, but I want the author to have done the work. I want to learn as I'm reading. I want to walk away from that book, not just, you know, enriched from the wonderful storytelling of that story, but I want to be able to say, oh my gosh, I didn't know that in, you know, 1923, you know, women couldn't smoke outside, you know, we could be arrested for smoking publicly. I want to, I, I nerd out on those, on those cool, you know, cool little research nuggets, those, those little tasty details. And so I like to know that when I'm in the pages of someone else's world, they have taken the time to do the work, to do the due diligence, to infuse those juicy nuggets of truth into the book. Absolutely. So I'm not thinking something happened that didn't happen, or I don't have my time frame wrong or whatever it is. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and I think the other thing too, is that when you feel those, the, the, the authenticity and the truth of that story, you leave that world feeling enriched from it. I agree completely. Well, let's turn to your very, very stunning cover. Do you just love it? Oh my God, Cindy, I love it. So I had to fill out, I think it was a 24-page questionnaire about my book and submitted it to the publisher. So they asked, you know, what the characters looked like. I sent them photographs of, you know, that I had found, original photographs that I had found in the course of my research, what colors I liked, what I felt the vibe of the book was, what accents people might have, and what I wanted to convey in terms of the vibe, the energy, the look, the feel. And I, I did all of that. You know, I, I sent photographs. I sent, you know, details of where people had been born, you know, everything I could, I could send. I created a Dropbox folder and I sent it. But I had no idea that when they sent me four cover options and this was number one, all of the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I got goosebumps. It was so gorgeous and so stunning and so absolutely perfect that I said, I have no changes approved. <laughs> That's awesome. Because, you know, that doesn't happen very often. And I just think it is so beautiful. I love it. Oh, thank you so much. And, and yes, me too. And I had heard all of these, you know, nightmare scenarios from, from friends who are authors who hated their cover and they did 10 rounds and it still wasn't right and they just couldn't get it right. And so I was prepared for the worst. And when I got this, I, I actually, I actually gasped and it was really cool because when I, you know, when I posted it, the photographer who is a woman who lives in London, whose name is Suda, she actually DM'd me on Instagram. She followed me and she DM'd me and she said, I just wanted to let you know, introduce myself. I took the photo of the woman on the cover. And so now we follow each other on Instagram and it's so cool to, to be in touch with her. It, it's just another added level of connection and 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 a depth of authenticity that I that has been you know present in the creation of this book from start to finish. And and the other really cool thing was they the one the one thing that I had had is they had had a different font for the newspaper uh, masthead, and I had said, oh, is there any way we could make it? They had used a serif font that looked more like the New York Times, and I said, oh, could we use you know something that looked a little more like where Julia actually worked, which was the New York Daily News. And then I said, and FYI, here is the temperature. Here is 
the details that are historically accurate from the actual day of the of the of her murder that would have appeared in the actual masthead of the actual newspaper on that day. And they put that on my cover, which I just again, I love that little nugget. Okay, that's so cool. I'm sitting here really investigating the cover now. I'm looking and I'm like, oh, that's so fun. That is really a very cool story. Isn't it so fun? Yeah. And I look, I, you know, I have the original newspaper, you know, the front page of the newspaper. So I just said, you know, actually, here was the temperature and, and here was the forecast and, and, you know, and here's how much it had cost. You know, it was two cents. The, the a, a copy of the New York Daily News was two cents back then. So, you know, they had something like 10 cents or something just as a placeholder. I said, oh, no, you know, change it to two cents. I wanted it exactly historically accurate. And then I love that blood stain sort of seeping across the page. It just gives you a vibe. It definitely does give you a vibe. I love the blood stain. And that's just so funny. Two cents. Can you imagine? <laughs> I can't buy anything for two cents these days, Cindy. What about Mystery and Thriller Mavens? Can you tell me all about that? Oh, yeah. So Mystery and Thriller Mavens is an Authors Helping Authors volunteer initiative that I started during the pandemic to help my fellow writers get the word out about their books in the wake of canceled in-person events and help readers get to connect directly with their favorite writers and meet their next favorite writers. So I hope that, you know, I can, I can help my writer friends connect to readers and help my reader friends get a chance to 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 hear straight from the horse's mouth uh, their favorite writers, or or I hope they'll trust me enough to say, you know what, I've never heard of that writer, but I like, you know, I like your last five recommendations, so I'm going to give them a shot. So it's a lot like my podcast, but you do it on Facebook. Is that right? Yes, yes. So every Monday for hashtag Mystery Monday, because Mondays can be murder, <laughs> I interview, <laughs> I interview two or three of my handpicked featured authors whose books are coming out the next day. So I do a special pre-launch Q&A and I broadcast it live to seven different destinations across Facebook and YouTube. And I let readers, you know, viewers ask questions live and then the author answers their questions or I let people submit questions in advance and then we answer them live and they get to watch it in the replay. So yeah, so that's a little bit about Mavens. And then you know, as the world has started to open up again, I realized I actually really love doing this. I love talking about writing. I love talking about books. I love talking about research. I mean, I could just, this like this conversation you and I are having, I could talk about this all day. It's so fun and so fabulous. And so I decided to keep it going. So it has been three years now and I've interviewed, I think I stopped counting at 350 authors and I try to split my, you know, split my lineup between the celebrity authors, you know, the, the luminaries like Dean Koontz, Patricia Cornwell, you know, Jeffrey Deaver, Lee Child, um, you know, Ruth Ware, Lisa Unger, all these amazing people and to debuts because debuts, you know, need, need a, a boost. Lee Child doesn't need Sarah DeVello. Let's not tell him that. But, you know, a debut who's just, you know, starting out and getting a leg up, you know, can really benefits more from helping to get the word out. So I'm really committed to that work. And then two years into doing that, sorry, one year into doing that, I, uh, in, in spring of 2021, I partnered with an incredible woman-owned, independent, mystery-dedicated bookstore in your neck of the woods, Cindy, right there in Houston, Texas. And that is Murder by the Book. And I have been in partnership with them because I wanted to get boots on the ground and support a woman-owned indie in, you know, in these tough times. Because um, I don't know if you know or not, but one independent bookstore a week has gone out of business during the pandemic because their profit margins are so narrow. And so I thought, you know what, I really want to, I'm putting all this time and energy into it. And 
helping authors, I could help a bookstore too. And so I drive all my sales to Murder by the Book. And then I'm able to offer my my authors an extra 15,000 view, you know, audience because Murder by the Book has a wonderful established following, um, you know, on uh, on social media and in their mailing list. And so it's been just a really wonderful, special way to, to, to be part of the community. Well, and as we talked ahead of time, I used to work at Murder by the Book, and that's how I first heard about you. So then when I saw your book, I connected it up and I was like, oh, that's the same person. So it's just so much fun to make these connections and actually get to chat with you now. I know that Murder by the Book has loved partnering with you. Oh, oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I can't believe you used to work there. This is just the coolest. I mean, what a small, incredible book loving world that, you know, we're all united in regardless of, you know, where we're based geographically or who we are, or what we do. We're all united in our love of, of reading, our love of books. And, um, you know, in this case, our love of mystery. So this is this is just extra cool to connect with you in this way. I think that's why I like the book world so much, because it is so interconnected and everybody is so kind and building each other up and supportive. I just love it. Yes, yes, exactly. I think it's the one corner of the world where kindness flourishes still. I agree. So talking about mystery and thriller maven, Sarah, will lead us into my last question, which is books that you recommend. Oh my gosh. So yes. Oh my gosh. So I, I could sit here and talk about, <laughs> about give you a list that could take us into next week, but I have uh, limited myself to just a few. So one of my, my favorite book that I have read this year is actually your former guest, Danielle Trasoni's The Puzzle Master. And Cindy, I just absolutely love this book. You know, my research loving nerd girl heart you was thrilled with this book again everything that you and I love you know learning and and uh, as we read and 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 just all of this you know super cool research she took the time she did the work and it is just so fabulous another book that i am reading an advanced copy of right now is the leftover woman by jean kwok so that is coming out in october and i love jean kwok i love her first three books which were Mambo in Chinatown, Searching for Sylvie Lee, and Girl in Translation. And so I was so excited to get an advanced copy of this book. And I cannot wait until it comes out in October because it is just so good. I'm a huge Karen Slaughter fan. I've gotten to host her a bunch of times. And I am so excited about her new book, which is called After That Night, the latest in the Will Trent series, which I've also been complete. My husband and I watched the, the, the show on ABC. And if we missed the live, we watch it on Hulu. So good. We're just completely addicted. And then my last recommendation is A Likeable Woman by Mae Cobb. So that just came out in July. And she's your fellow Texan over there in Austin. I love Mae Cobb. She is such an incredible human being. She is such an, an incredible writer. And her books are so fun and so fabulous. And uh, and I I hope everybody enjoys it. So many good recommendations. It's hard to limit yourself, as you said, but you pick some great ones. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to hear what you recommend next because I think you read even more than I do. I bet we're about neck and neck. <laughs> well, Sarah, this was delightful. Thank you so, so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I loved the Broadway butterfly and I can't wait for it to make its way out into the world. Oh my gosh, Cindy, thank you so much for having me on. I think you and your podcast are incredible and it has been such a pleasure to chat with you about all the things that we love the most and to nerd out with you about them. And I'm so honored to be one of your guests and one of your juicy spill the tea guests. And I can't wait to do our spoiler 
uh, episode now for your Patreon subscribers because this is going to be fun and we are going to tell it all. I can't wait either because I think this is the perfect book for that. And I don't get to do many of these spoiler-filled conversations, so I'm thrilled to pieces. Thank you, Sarah. Yay. Thank you so much, Cindy. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts from a Page. If you enjoy this show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts from a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.